what is it with political correctness when it comes to recruiting? Don't get it twisted in this episode. I know we talk about getting qualified people and not worried about being politically correct, but what you don't know about my guest is she's one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to working with people with unique qualities, if they're a minority or different in their thinking. Did you know that your life has been affected by her? Well, pretty much everybody in the world is. She was the recruiter who assembled the team that developed the debit card. Hi, I'm Dava Mills, the rebellious recruiter. Today's a fun day for me. This is a short conversation with Penny Fillower. A typical conversation between the two of us is at least three hours long. She's a recruiting consultant working with businesses in the Pacific Northwest. Her business, Because Fit Matters, it specializes in helping leaders understand their employees' strengths and how to best communicate within their strengths and values. She has over four decades of experience, and I'm proud to call her my friend. So pull up a seat and listen in. I, I, was, I lived in a world where there was no HR, and therefore recruiting was the relationship builder. So when we hired people, especially in tech, we were the medium. We were the person that talked to the hiring managers and then got to know the, the applicants. Mm-hmm. And so our job was to know everybody so well that we could see where the new hire would complement the team as right. opposed to even letting the hiring manager hire them. Right. So there was, there was no real interview with a hiring manager. It was more of an introduction and it was all on us. Right. So, but you went through like a complete dynamic change. So I came into recruiting just before the dynamic changed. We were still using fax machines and then monster.com uh, came online. It was called the monster board then. Right, right. And so, but you had, you know, before that happened, you had 20 plus years recruiting based on talking to people. Uh yeah, actually uh, getting to know them so well because nothing was done in urgency. So we were always calling people. We were always building relationships. And so when an opening came up, we always had it filled quickly. Right. And see, that's been my thing. I always tell managers, there's no such thing as a recruiting emergency. Yeah. If we're planning and strategizing right, the only time there's an urgent situation is if somebody leaves without you planning it. But I don't know about you, but my radar for people that are getting ready to leave oh. is pretty honed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can tell it by the way they change their... I mean, yes, if you're, if you're a recruiter, a true, a true recruiter, you have to relate it to a sports team. Those recruiters are looking for the stars a year or two before the draft ever happens. Right. Um, and, and you can tell when somebody's not interested anymore. That's just, that's just what makes you good, in my opinion, is for being so young. And I met you when you were young in the business. Yeah. Your radar was incredible for somebody who didn't have, in my opinion, didn't have the right management to really cultivate you. You cultivated yourself. You worked for somebody that you liked at least, or that at least respected you, but you had to teach yourself 
all the nuances and something happened to you somewhere that heightened your awareness to where you could see their body language, you could hear the tone in their voice. You were pretty, just in a coffee meeting with you, I knew you were my type of recruiter. You, and, <laughs> and, and being a rebel, what I loved was you saw things as they were, you didn't see things politically correct. Right. And I think that's where businesses go wrong is they require their people to be liked and they require their people to be politically correct when the truth is we're hiring human beings. Right. Well, that's been one of my biggest problems is I've talked about, like, I I tell everybody I'm an extreme extrovert and I believe a lot of my ability to have gotten where I've gotten professionally is because I'm an extrovert, because I'm not afraid to speak up and put myself in the middle of things. The problem is with that is there is some of the best people I've ever worked with have been introverts and they they don't get ahead as fast. And I'm like, you know, we need to respect the quiet person in the room. Well, uh, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a huge introvert, Mm -hmm. but you put me in a business setting I'm the loudest person in the room. Okay. Right? Because I'm there for a purpose. I'm being forced Mm -hmm. to interact, and therefore I go into the extreme. Right. Because it's my job. Right. But when I was getting into recruiting, the reason I loved it was it would allow me to disappear in a party, observe everybody take my notes, get their phone number, and then build a relationship slowly. Yeah. And so I never, I mean, I was the top recruiter from almost the day one that I started in my career. Right. Nobody said no to me. I, whenever I went after anybody, I didn't have candidates go someplace else and, and fish because they knew everything from the beginning. They knew the money. They knew the people. They they we had the relationships we were comfortable i it was just easy right and i could be an introvert because i'm really in my life i'm a one-on-one person because i require that quality energy right right and so an extrovert in recruiting to me you have if you were ugly, I think you'd have a, a worse time. <laughs> I think an ugly extrovert has a challenge in the fact that they are so wholesome inside, but people are visual. And it's the same thing in growing up is it, the people who were somewhat attractive in recruiting, they were the most successful because people wanted to talk to them. And then if you're funny, which you are hilarious, that adds to it. Well, I, I will, I'm going to add a caveat to that though, because I started, when I started, there was no face-to-face contact. I was doing national recruiting over the phone. And somebody asked me once, what does it take to be a good recruiter? And my response was a really ugly, good salesperson. Yeah, see? <laughs> a very interesting voice. Like if our voices were different, like for example, if I were to check you like this and be talking to you in a way that says, would you like to work somewhere, right? That's never going to be successful. No. 
And in yeah. fact, I, I think you nailed it. My voice deepened as I started recruiting. It abs- And I think there's an American ideology behind it because when I talk to people in other countries, women don't have as low of a voice as I have. I think there's something to it. I remember when I was younger, I remember so many men would say, I have to meet you. Your voice is, and I was like, you're going to be so disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not your typical looking person, right? Because I've always been big or I've always been masculine looking, but uh, people would be mesmerized. They were like, you call me anytime. Right. And they just love to listen. Because <laughs> you so gave they, good phone, Penny. That's what it's all about. And I can't, I really, I can't tell you how many times people uh, referred me to the 976 numbers and I would get calls saying, have you ever thought? And I'd be like, <laughs> I thought about it, believe me. And I would, I would blow your ears off if you got me in this profession. I'd be rich, rich, rich. You know, a great imagination. What I <laughs> When I was writing out my non-compete from MRI, I uh, wound up at Starbucks for a year at a brand new drive-through and be like, "Welcome to Starbucks. Would you like to try a grande chocolate frappuccino today?" You know, <laughs> like they would sit there and they're like, "I can take your order whenever you're ready." It's like yeah. oh, I thought you were like a recording and a, you know, like a Taco Bell recording. And so, yeah, it was. <laughs> it's true. It's. True. it's- you know, to me, I, I have a great face for radio. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about, though, because one of the reasons I wanted to talk today was we had that Forbes article that I sent you. And um, I was blown away when this article was posted. It was a blog article. I don't think it went out into their magazine. But it was talking about unique questions uh that interviewers like to ask or unusual and um i was actually offended as i read over half of those questions some of them i actually asked like questions like what questions do you have for me what questions should i have asked that i didn't ask right because it's those are good questions right there but we need to be we need to stop pretending to be therapists we need to stop pretending that we can get into the psyche of any other human being. It's well, work. It, it is work. And one of the things that got me was like, if, you know, because everybody is on the, you know, if you were a, what would you be? Right. And so one of the ones, somebody did their own twist on it. And it was like, if you were a brand new color of crayon, to, and then somehow they go into this color of crayon and somehow from there, they spun it into diversity. And I'm like, what the heck just happened here? Yeah. I was like, I, I I don't even know. I was I was absolutely floored. And the thing that got me is there's a book. You know, top grading, of course. Bradley Smart. So Bradley Smart's son, Jeff Smart, wrote who, right? And like right off the bat, he's like, that's a voodoo question, and he has all the data points to say why it doesn't work. And then here's Forbes publishing stuff that sounds fancy when there's actual hardcore, I mean, both Bradley Smart and Jeff Smart both have PhDs in interview science. And I'm like, you know, that's all about data, right? Yeah. I, to think that those people are coaching the world of human resource just validates everything that I personally feel about that profession. And the fact that 
people just need to simplify. They need to simplify this whole thing. Yep. We are human beings with human behavior. And everyone knows when you're on a first date, nothing is real. No, nothing is real. If you look at the process of dating and transfer it into the process of getting a job, mm -hmm. there is really no difference. The first introduction, your hair is done and you dress up nice and you watch your language and oh, everything is just great. And you're trying to be liked. It has no bearing on whether you can do the job or not. Right. But the truth is how many parents would love the person you're dating mm -hmm. on the first date? Oh, they're a nice person. Oh, they look so good. Oh, I love their perfume, blah, blah, blah. But a month later, after only maybe three or four visits, they're like, what a jerk. Right. And it's the same thing in business. I think people need to stop trying to psychoanalyze the whole process and get human. Well, and that's the, that's the thing that I'm like harping on is, you know, you've heard me talk about what I call emotional capital. Like the big thing is, is like this employer puts out this really anemic ad. They have no information on their website that relates to who they are, like at a very fundamental level. Mm -hmm. And then they tell the candidate in order to apply, you need to answer. Like there was this one question for a culture manager once that wanted to know if you could stop everything right now and take a vacation, who would you go with? Where would you go and why? I'm like, what does that have to do with work? I'm with you. And the truth is it doesn't. It, right. It is a superior position that a company puts themselves in through the person who's running those ads. Right. That's, I am judging you. I am better than you. And you have to pass my muster because I am the wonderful, powerful Oz. Right. When the fact of the matter is, that is exactly who they're pretending to be. Right. Like, well, you're human. And the thing is, it's like, you know, you would never, I mean, parents that box their kids in to be a certain type of kid wind up with kids that commit suicide they wind up with kids that are in therapy they wind up with these less than perfect families so we need to stop looking at culture as something that fits in a box and everybody that you bring on board there's a fundamental rule like for families maybe dinners at five every night around the table with no electronics whatever that fundamental rule is that is a culture point that brings everybody together but your life is enriched. I mean, my daughter, I'm, I'm working on a podcast right now about her brain. Like I had to, once we saw a picture inside her brain, I realized like when she's having like meltdowns, what is fundamentally happening, how to change it and how to work with her in that moment. But I can't treat her like my sister treats her kids. It doesn't work. This is the again the huge problem is these companies are lying mm -hmm. because they're wanting people to be like family and when and you really look at it these aren't your children no people you're raising you have to decide as an employer what kind of environment so for example i will not work anywhere where one of the things they want to create is a very fun work environment Right. I, I like to have fun and I also work very hard. I probably with with without being humble, I'm probably one of the hardest 
working people I know. Right. But I have to laugh. I have to make fun of things, not people. I have to look at the ridiculousness of something in order to go, let's fix that. Right. Well, so why not? So when you hire a recruiter, mm -hmm. you have to say, I trust you to hire people who are going to have fun here. Right. And so the recruiter themselves, like if I'm in an interview and I'm making jokes and the person across the table isn't laughing, right. it's nothing wrong with them. It's just they wouldn't fit because they would be the ones that go, I don't think she's so funny. When everybody else is going, isn't she hilarious? And even I'd say it, you know, I would go out and say, I'm the funniest person, you know, and they would go, no, I am. <laughs> and so the recruiter becomes the key person because that's the person that you need to trust to create that environment. But instead, you cycle babble everybody and you mm -hmm. have this stuffy thing that that makes equality and uh, race, religion, sexual orientation, they make all those things so medicinal, like we have, like, you can't ask anybody. Okay. Right. But then when that person goes away, the behind the scenes talk becomes, well, they acted so blank, whether mm -hmm. they acted so feminine, or they, they were a little too uh, soft. The judgments are huge. They are and, huge. And even in my uh, robust days, I would say to people, human beings, if they don't like something, if they don't want to hire somebody who wears glasses, they're not going to come out and say, well, they wear glasses. I'm not going to hire them. They are going to find something else legally wrong yep. and you never get the truth. So get rid of it and hire the right recruiter because quite frankly, I would I know in language whether somebody's a bigot. I know in language and in body language and in using my eyes. I know when somebody has uh, a quirk, if I say something and they go, uh uh no. I know that that's not a good person for the team. It doesn't right. take a rocket scientist. And I certainly don't need Forbes to tell me what kind of an animal tells you what kind of person I am. Yeah. If you were to ask me that question, I'd tell you I'm a piranha and I'm going to eat your face off for asking the question. Right. Well, what was one of those other questions? It was, um, it was is happiness a right? Oh, my God. Oh, it, it's, is it a choice or is it a right? And what got me was, oh number God. one, from a mental illness standpoint, that was the absolute <laughs> wrong way to approach it from an ADA standpoint. From a cultural standpoint, if somebody is like a green card holder and has not become an American, you are now basically setting, setting them up to fail a question based on your own ideology. And that's, that's exactly where the problems lie. You're, every one of these questions is based on that person's own ideology. What is the right answer, right? right? Who decides whether that is a right answer? What is What are those questions really telling right. you? The best question was the one you liked and the one I like, which is, have I, is there a question you have that I have an answer? 
But I think the whole interviewing process needs a makeover. I think people need to talk to each other. And I think you put the responsibility onto the applicant because we learn so much more from their questions than we do from their answers. But we can't put the responsibility on the applicant without giving them the rules ahead of time. The minute you give them rules, Deva, they're trying to follow. What you do is say, here is a bucket load of information about the reality of the job. By the way, with video, whoever invented that is genius. Oh, God. You should make a video of people doing the job. And then you should have the person do something wrong in the job. Right. Video that. Send the video to the applicant and say, here's somebody doing the job. Tell me what they're doing wrong. Well, or, that's, and that's what I've been doing with the visual yeah. interview, right? Yeah, but not all the rules. But what, I, I guess I, I misspoke. It's, to me, it's not the rules, but it's like during the interview process, a lot of candidates fall off because there's no explanation of what's going on on the company's behalf. It's well, like... Town hall, that's... That is, see, people... People don't really understand the value in putting together a group Q&A. A group Q&A brings in anywhere from six to 10 people. And all you do as the representative of the company is answer everybody's question. And you tell them there is no question off limits. Absolutely. With me, I say to them, your protection is with each other. Because once somebody's brave enough to say, gee, Penny, how much do you weigh? And I say how much I weigh, everybody laughs and blah, blah, blah. But then you get another question that is brave that says, how many blacks do you have in your company? Oh, wow. Okay. And then you get another question that says, what are your feelings about the gay and lesbian community? Pretty soon they're asking the real questions. Right. And none of it is about the, the mechanics of the job. When you put the mechanics of the job together, you and I should never do that interview. The person who does that interview should be somebody over the telephone that knows 10 questions to ask about that job. And right. if the candidate cannot answer them, then the person doing the job every single day is the only one that can say, they don't know the job. But that person can never ask a personal question. Hi, my name is Penny. I'm going to ask you questions about the job. So they don't get an opinion about the personality, whether they like them or not. And there are fundamental things that will tell every employer what they need to know without you, the recruiter, having to psychologically analyze anybody. You just create the comfort that gets them talking And oh my goodness, you put them in a room with other people and they talk. They do. And that's, that's what I was talking about recently. Um, I actually said, you know, like people don't refer your company because you have free snacks. (laughs) They don't refer your company because everybody goes out after work for happy hour. They refer your company because the company stood behind them when there was a family illness. They refer your company because of the training that's being provided. They refer your company because they know what the job is on a daily basis and they feel like they are being rewarded 
adequately or over the top for the work that they're doing. People don't refer companies for all these things that we're saying you need to be doing right now. Like everybody's into the charity marches and I'll do charity marches as a company. I think it's great for, you know, to give back, have an ideology, the whole nine yards. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've never had a candidate come in the door and say, what's your favorite charity to support? But I have had candidates when I say we completely positively affected this company's ability to get on a nationwide stage by how we taught them to handle their supply chain logistics. Wow. Like I made a difference in one business owner's life because this person had a dream. That's like, I'm telling you, yeah, we go do our local charity march. No, we positively took this woman overnight to a millionaire status that's when people light up because they talk about the millennials, you know, they want to change lives. That's where you change lives. You don't change lives, you know, being fluffy. Yeah. But you think about it, the people that are creating the problems are the people who think they can buy, you know, like if you, if you show up to work, uh, Every work day, every day you're scheduled this month, I'll give you $300 or wages. We're driving up the wages because we're driving up other aspects of things and people need to live. Mm -hmm. But I have yet in my entire 45-year career to hire anybody where money is their first question. I will never hire anybody who says, what does it pay? Because you know why? I put it out there in the posting. It pays this much. If right. you don't want to accept this range, do not apply. Right. When they apply, I'm able to say, it said clearly not to apply if you wanted more than this. So we have nothing more to say. Right. When you see a posting that I put out into the monsters or the indeeds, it's nothing like anybody else's because it says, it, it speaks in words that we use on a daily basis. Right. And if the company swears, and that's a part of it, I put it in there. We say the F word probably a hundred times a day. If that bothers you, don't apply. So we need to stop all this sales talk right. and get into exactly what you're talking about. Recognize, I'll make it even simpler. I think the only reason people refer people and, and are attached to the referral as if you hold them accountable to it. And the right. fact is, is people go out and say, man, you need to work where I work because I have fun. Mm -hmm. You need to work where I work because they treat me well. Yep. They don't go into the details of, like you said, free lunches. They don't even get into the details of uh, the training and education. That is like such a far thought until the person themselves says something like, well, how did you get where you were? Oh, they sent me to school. Or right. They gave me the training. But, but honestly, Deva, you're a good example. When I called you to introduce you to uh, your current employer, you just trusted me. Right. But you also you said say, that if you were to work for somebody, you would work for this person. Correct. That's all great. I know what that means. We've spent right. so much time together. That's correct. And I even told you the downside. You didn't ask because I care enough about you 
to mm-hmm. say, here's the downside. Right. And so, you know what? That's, that's what I've always approached my calls with. It's like when I worked for a company, you know, the CEO would come to people's desk and find out about their family issues and then follow up on family issues. And then people would get upset because he was getting in their business. I right. started telling people in the interviews, here's the deal. He cares about you. He likes to play amateur psychologist. If you want to play back, that's fine. If you want to draw a boundary, that's fine too. He respects it. And like, that was like my first introductory call, but it was like, I'm not going to waste time going through six different, you know, steps in the process between like reverse interviews and half day shadows and, you know, phone screens and personality tests. I'm not going to go through all that only to have somebody come on board and leave after a week because, you know, daddy issues are suddenly on the table. Yeah. But see that, Deva, that is what makes you a real true rebellious recruiter. It's (laughs) you define what recruiting is and it used to, it still does. I think if anybody had the nerve to say it, But I used to be in, uh, when I, I had 25 years into my career before I ever worked at a company that had an HR department. Right. And when that HR person said to me, oh, I love recruiting. If I could just spend the day on the phone talking to candidates, I would just love that. (laughs) And I was so offended to think that my job was reduced to the fact that if you had the time to do it, you'd do it, but you're so damn busy that you just don't have the time, but oh, you would love to do. Right. A a good recruiter is what you do. It's one that pays so much attention that at the end of the day, you're exhausted and energized. You want to go home, but you can't stop thinking about that, that candidate, or you can't stop thinking about, you know, the one that's at a job, you know, they don't like. Right. They know, you know, they're being golden handcuffed because they're being paid way too much money for the market because the company's getting ready to go under. How right. do you, how do you talk to that person and get them to trust you? Because that's all they're going to have to do to right. say, you know what, Deva, I, it makes a lot of sense. And I would like an interview. Mm-hmm. We work hard. It's just not the kind of thing that another profession, it's a profession. It's not something you do in your spare time because you need a break. Right. I've met a lot of recruiters and I would say in my whole lifetime, I've probably met five that literally have the gut DNA to be their profession. And I knew you were that person in a meeting. I didn't need three meetings. I didn't need to ask you a question Mm -hmm. about your astrological sign or animal love or color in a crayon box. I, I just needed to listen to you. And I love rebelliousness because no change happens when no one's irritated. No one's rebellious. Nobody looks at that and says, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And to think these people have PhDs and master's degrees, oh my God, anybody should be embarrassed that, I, I, would, I would be too embarrassed to ask those questions. Oh yeah. And the thing is, is, you know, in my career, 
obviously I've asked bad interview questions and, and sometimes like one of the worst ones I've ever asked was what's the funniest thing to happen to you on the job? And it was a interview written by someone I implicitly trust and still to this day call her for advice. Right. But what happened, I like the question. Well, but you know what? It failed. It failed on every possible front. I tried it over three different yeah. types of interviews. But you know why it failed? The question didn't fail, Deva. The reason it failed was because you're talking to somebody who has a hundred thoughts, like, what am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to answer it? What is she looking for? The candidate is so nervous. But if you ask me that question, I would love you. I would kiss you on the mouth. I think that is so of a question. I well the the question was supposed to be asked to see if they have a sense of humor. What <laughs> I learned was and it's exactly what you're talking about because of all those thoughts. It's like, you know, asking someone what's the funniest thing to happen to you today? That's like I'm out having a beer with my friends. And for me, like I don't want to hire people I want to have a beer with. I want to hire people I want to be in a foxhole with. And I think it's a completely different mentality, right? And so... I want to be able to laugh quietly as the bullets are going over our head. Right, like, right. Oh, that was close. Boy, <laughs> I dodged that bullet. And let me tell you about the date I dodged as well. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So for me, I stopped asking it because, you know, when I look back at the funniest thing that ever happened to me on the job, I actually blogged about it. But I had a guy in the middle of an interview. I was looking over at my buddy while we're doing the interview it was lunchtime. And he was, uh, you know, a manager. And he's starting to move kind of weird in the interview. And I, you know, looked at him and I looked back at the candidate. I said, hey, do you have any more questions? Because I got to get this guy to lunch. And the candidate looked at me like completely deadpanned. And I knew going into the interview, this guy was already awkward at best. And yeah. he looks at me and he looks at the other guy I'm interviewing with and he looks back at me and he goes, oh, you're going to give him a nooner? <laughs> wow. <laughs> right? And so like, I'm looking at my interview partner. <laughs> Wow. I look yeah. at my interview partner and his like eyes are huge and he looks and we look back at the, the guy and he's like straight face, like what the heck, you know, why aren't you answering my question? And I look back at my interview partner and he's starting to wiggle in his seat because he's fighting laughing. So he's like, you know, that's a really good question. Explain to Deva what you mean. <laughs> I love it. Right. And so so you know, and of course, I'm like doing everything I can to come, like not come out of my skin and start screaming at the guy, right? And he goes, oh, it's an iron worker term. He says, if you make somebody work through their lunch, you buy them lunch. And I'm like, of course, it's an iron worker term because, you know, it's completely a male environment, you know, like rooted back a hundred years. And, um, and I said, I said, really? He goes, yeah, it usually happens on the off shift. So I'm like, so you had a lot of pizza dinners. He goes, a lot of pizza dinners. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So, and again, this guy was pretty awkward. Um, so I think at best, you know, I was dealing with a personality type I had never dealt with. He was yeah. asking a question that in his reality was completely normal. So what was <laughs> funny about this is, you know, after the interview was over that my, my interviewing partner comes into my office and he goes, dude, you gasped. 
And I was like, you know, and so then I go up to my HR meeting and we had two different locations we were working out of. And this location was all women and one man. And the other location was all men and two women. And so I'm in the location that's all women and one man. And I like you guys, you are not going to believe what just happened to me. And I tell them about this and every woman in the room is like, <gasps> you know, and the guy just bursts out laughing. He's like thinking that's the funniest thing he ever heard. And uh, but I'm like, it's an iron worker term. And of course, we we're all in a union environment. And my VP was like, yep, that makes sense. Wow. <laughs> totally an iron worker thing to say right but i don't know like in an i congratulate you for holding a straight face because i would have i would have busted up i (laughs) this is the thing is this though is i really i really agree with you i agree that i want somebody to be in a foxhole with i want somebody that's going to do the job so to me i i just don't delve I listen. If somebody wants to get personal, I'll listen to them. The truth is, all everything about the interview is the comfort in their career. If I'm hiring a welder, I want to hear that welder talk about welding like he's romancing or she's romancing. If I'm hiring an app designer, I want them to talk about their code like it's their favorite food right Um, so i i just think we've become too personal in an unrealistic area because quite frankly we aren't creating a family we're not creating children that we need to raise we're not promising them forever attachment which is the biggest lie ever and for companies that give these crap to me, you have a very simple vision. I mean, a, a very simple vision, right. something people can, can memorize or something people can, can rhythm with. You have a few, no more than five values so people can relate to them. Yep. And then you, you make them promise uh, in a way that says, before I hire you, are you prepared to be accountable to uphold our vision and our values right yes i am if you don't are you are you giving me permission to hold you accountable and switch your behavior Mm -hmm. in order to get you back on track yes i am great are you also agreeing that if you don't do that and you continually refuse are you also agreeing that you will resign from the job? Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to fire you. And when you're that crystal clear before you hire somebody, they're not going to, if they're going to lie to you, they're going to lie to you. But that's right. not the point. The point right. is, if you get every single person to say that, they have given you their permission to do your job. Right. So we're just, you know, we're just making it too personal. You're, we're putting the responsibility on you, Deva, to ask certain questions mm-hmm. and then in your mind, make the decision whether they're worthy or not. And that's not a fair position to put you in. And I love that you're rebelling. I love that you're not buying into it and you fight back. You don't fight back as raw and hard as I do, but you're also far more stable and 
Uh, you you would think that you would think that there was a situation the other day that had my daughter in my office, you know, because distance learning, um, mm -hmm. she comes in on a break on school and she's like, Mom, what just happened there? <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, it was taken care of. But uh, yeah, but other than that, I do typically stay pretty calm. And of course, again, the boss, right? You know, the, the person that you wanted to work for would work for again. I was on the phone with him and in exactly that, that conversation, you were talking about accountability. I went straight into accountability mode. I'm like, I completely lost my cool, you know? And this yeah. and we talked about it. Well, uh, in respect for that um, too, for example, if you were my boss, if you did something that went against what you and I have discussed, I would also have the courage to say, wait a minute, David, what happened? The problem is most bosses or most C-suite people, they let their position be their power and therefore it prevents you from being comfortable to hold them accountable for what they have said they are and they do. Right. And when you have a boss that promotes communication, for example, and they fail to do that, they, they call on their position to keep you from saying, the fuck? Right. right? <laughs> uh, and I think that's, that's become our biggest uh, barrier is the fact that people are attached to their ego because they become afraid to be wrong. What you allow that I really admire is you allow mistakes. You allow people to be themselves. It's not even that you allow it like you're Oz or you know, the Wizard of Oz. You allow it because that's your fundamental makeup is the fact that, you know what? How you treat me is all I care about. After that, if I don't like you, I just won't hang with you. But it doesn't mean I have to make you wrong. Right. And that's a good recruit. That is not just a good recruiter. That is a great recruiter that unfortunately had to get into HR in order to be better than me. But <laughs> you, um, you have what it takes to make this profession a profession again. Mm -hmm. And the only way we can do that, in my opinion, is to make HR work for us because we are the people, the facing, we are the ones that are building the company with people. The recruiter should hire the HR person and the HR person should be accountable to the recruiter because the recruiter is the one in the trenches. Yeah, they're, they're the doing all the ROI to get those butts in the seats. Correct. And somehow or another, a big EGO got involved and decided that human resource was something that was above God, because I'll tell you the most violations that I've ever seen in mm -hmm. race, religion, orientation, sexual preference, I mean, um, uh, sex, male, male, female, transgender is in the HR department itself. Oh, yeah. And I, and that hypocrisy, I have no room for in my life, which is kind of why I'm uh, I have the, I don't have an opinion about this. I have experience with it. And yeah. there's a huge difference. I don't feel like I'm opinionated in the slightest. Right. I am somebody that has seen it, lived it, 
worked in it, worked for it, heard it, and um, and uh, it's not an opinion. An opinion is something that says, well, it could be right, could be wrong, blah, blah, blah. It's not. You, you've seen it too. Mm-hmm. You've seen it and good for you for, for doing the podcast, for being out there, for, being, for going against the grain. And I am really, really proud to call you my friend. I, I love our friendship. Oh, I and love friendship too. it started in, in work. So it's, there are good things that could happen. Right. It only took so long. Let's see. So I think I met you in 2004. Yep. And I think we switched it from strictly professional to friendship about two years ago, three, maybe. That's when we actually started talking about our family lives and our upbringing. So yeah, yeah. that would be when, that's when the, even though we've never actually worked together, yeah. um, that's what, that would be when the switch happened, when we finally started yeah. talking about our family lives. So for all of those people who are listening to the podcast, all you have to do is stick to it. And eventually, if you want to become friends with somebody, it'll happen over years. It won't happen over one or two interviews. Mm -mm. So stay focused on the business at hand. Get out of people's lives. Get them to relax. If you are are a scary interviewer, don't be a recruiter. Get out of it. Just just don't. Because Mm -hmm. in order for you to know if I can do the job, all you have to do is ask me, Penny, can you do this job? If I can't, I'll say, no, I hate to fail. I don't, I can't do this job. Right. That's how simple it can get once you know somebody and uh, keep doing it. And I hope people listen to this podcast. I, I listen to all of your podcasts and oh, wow. yeah. And I, um, I'll tell you, you know, I was listening to somebody else's podcast and I was I was listening to the right things to say, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they walk the talk. My experience is proving that they they don't walk the talk. But right. I have watched you, worked with you, talked to you, interacted with you, shared ideals with you, um, and you are genuinely, in my opinion, one of the most marketable recruiters that I know. And I hope that you, I hope you change the way things are. And I hope you stay with it long enough to make good money, have HR working for you and build an amazing organization. And if the company you're working for right now, lets go of that chain around your neck and lets you be the person you are, they will be an amazing company. They have, they have, there's just too many things to accomplish in the next three months. You know what I mean? So. Well, take it on. Taking it on. You know it. Just stop psycho babbling, analyzing, and thinking that that recruiters are are smart enough to be that judge or the wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah it's stop with the get assumptions. The yeah, and, and and stop sprinkling fairy dust all over the questions to get the answers. Like oh my god, yeah, fairy dust questions. Oh, no more. In your thing, I would say now is the time to put another one of those videos together that you did before. Mm-hmm. Put some music to it, have some fun with it. But in this time, put it in the reference of your market. And don't be afraid to use the language that your leadership uses. If they don't like to hear it, mm-hmm. then they should stop talking like that. 
Yeah. So if you say the F word, put it in a video. If they, there is no law on HR, anything. There is no law that says you can't speak the language in your company. The only thing that the law says is you can't include the protected classes. So right. if somebody says WTF, say it. Right. I, I, I just think we're trying to put lipstick on a pig and it's still a pig. And if you're not the kind of company that people want to work for, if you're real, you will always have employees because there's always an employer, even a bad one. There are employees who want to work for bullies because they're, they function being told what to do, how to do it, when to do it. Mm-hmm. If you're a bully employer, stay a bully employer, but don't pretend you're not one and then bully them once they say yes to working for you. Right. Just get real. There's enough work out there for everybody who wants to work, except for me because I'm unemployable. You are not unemployable. Nobody would hire me with this attitude. You know that. <laughs> this, is, this is why coaching has become such a phenomenon right now, Penny. <laughs> well, thank you for asking me my opinion. And anytime you want to do this again for another subject, I'd, I'd love to do that. I'm yeah. curious to see how it turns out. Yep. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Rebellious Recruiter. A quick reminder, I'll be bringing you new information every Monday and an occasional interview later on in the week with another thought leader. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to this and comment, rate, and review. And share this podcast with other leaders that are looking to build out-of-this-world teams and maybe have a penchant for defying best practices. Go ahead and check me out at millsgroupllc.com and drop me a line there with your thoughts or questions. I might use your subject matter in upcoming shows. And thank you for listening. I know you only have so many hours in the week, and I'm grateful to spend this time with you. Until then, make it a great day. I'll see you on the flip side. This podcast is produced by TH3 Entertainment.